0: Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to going dark theater. This is a podcast about finding the humanity behind the horror, and this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Fet Slaughter. Content warning. This episode contains mentions of sexual violence. I include this not for sensationalism, but to tell the story of the human beings involved as truthfully as possible. Close your eyes and imagine. It is winter. Snow covers the landscape around the farm where you live. At night, you lay in your bed listening to the sound of the wind outside. You live far from the nearest town far away from your nearest neighbor. The isolation may make you feel safe and self-sufficient, but it also means that it will be difficult to find help if something terrible happens. In the frozen darkness of the wintry night, it is likely no one would be able to hear your screams. It could well take days for anyone else to even wonder if there was something wrong. And by then, it would be far too late. This is exactly what happened at the Hinterkaifeck farm in Germany in March of 1922. Hinterkaifeck means behind the village of Kaifeck. The location of the farm is in present day Waidhofen, Bavaria, Germany, 43 miles north of Munich. The farm belonged to the Gruber family, and on March 31, 1922, the five members of the family. Patriarch Andreas Gruber, his wife Cecilia, their widowed daughter, Victoria Gruber Gabriel, and Victoria's two young children, little Cecilia and Joseph Gabriel, along with the newly arrived family maid Maria Baumgartner, were murdered one by one. Their bodies went undiscovered for several days after the massacre, and the identity of the person or persons who killed them all remains one of Germany's most gruesome and haunting. Unsolved Mysteries. Like the Lizzie Borden case of 1892, the story of the Hinterkaifeck murders in 1922 presents a gory crime puzzle on its surface, but. It is also another vivid tale of the human horrors that can be committed in secret and in silence behind the closed doors of a respectable family home. Unlike the two unsolved mysteries I have examined so far in this second season of the Going Dark Theatre podcast, in the case of Hinterkaifeck, there are very few records of the actual words of the human beings involved. Much of the reporting is based on the facts of what happened but not the personal feelings or thoughts of the people. In my telling of this tale, I will endeavor not to make assumptions, but stick to the facts as we know them. However, With much of the material of this story, I hope all who are listening will try to read between the lines of what we know to uncover the real human truth underneath. Look underneath the grisly mystery, and then it may become possible to glimpse the souls of these six people who lived and then tragically died. The farm at Hinterkaifeck was first built in 1863. It consisted of an L-shaped farmhouse, a large barn with a hayloft, and several other outbuildings, including a tool shed. It was owned by a woman named Cecilia, who inherited it when her first husband died in 1885. A year later, in 1886, Cecilia married one of the workers on the farm, 27-year-old Andreas Gruber, who was eight years younger than her. Whether Cecilia married Andreas Gruber because of a passionate romance or out of necessity is one of the many things. Things we cannot know. Cecilia and Andreas Gruber had three daughters, but only their eldest, Victoria, survived to live as an adult. Apparently, It was common knowledge in the nearby villages that Andreas Gruber was a cruel man who regularly physically abused his wife, despite the fact that Cecilia was the actual owner of the Interkaifec farm as their surviving daughter Victoria grew older her father, Andreas, began to molest her. When she was only 16 years old, Victoria confided, confided to a friend that her father had been raping her for some time, and she hated the sight of his face. When she was 27 years old, Victoria Gruber became engaged to a man named Carl Gabriel. They married in April of 1914. Here was, at last, a chance for Victoria to escape her abusive father, but instead, she and Carl ended up living at Hinterkaifeck. Victoria's mother, Cecilia Gruber, gave Victoria legal ownership of the farm once she married, giving Victoria little choice but to remain in the house. Victoria's husband, Car Gabriel, was reportedly very troubled by what went on in the farmhouse at Hinterkaifeck. Carl even returned to live with his mother for a time before being encouraged by his family to go back and live with his new wife despite the problems. Carl Gabriel apparently said that his father-in-law Andreas Gruber was an abusive tyrant who often refused to give him food or water while he lived in the house at Hinterkaifeck, and that Andreas even boasted that he had caused his two other children with Cecilia to die in the same way. In July 1914, Only four months after marrying Victoria, Carl Gabriel enlisted to fight in World War I. He was sent to fight in France, but he would never return. Carl Gabriel was killed instantly in action by stepping on a landmine. Although his body was not recovered and likely buried in a mass grave, several of his fellow troops gave statements about having seen Car Gabriel's mangled corpse on the battlefield. His skull split open, but they were certain it was him. By the time Carl Gabriel left to fight in World War I, his wife Victoria was already pregnant with their first child. One month after Victoria was informed her husband was dead and she was now a war widow, she gave birth to their only child, a little baby girl poignantly, Victoria Gruber-Gabriel named her firstborn child after her long-suffering mother, little Cecilia. A year later, in 1915, The Gruber family maid at the time heard noises coming from the barn at Hinterkaifeck. When the maid investigated, she witnessed Andreas Gruber in the act of raping his daughter, Victoria. The maid's story was brought to the attention of authorities, and both Andreas and Victoria were tried and convicted of incest. Victoria served one month in jail. Her father, Andreas, the perpetrator, served one year in prison for his crime. Victoria said that if she had known the maid could have heard her and walked in on them, she would never have given in to her father's wishes. Many writers about this case suggest that the incestuous relationship between Victoria and her father was consensual. That is reprehensible to me on so many levels. The facts do not bear this theory out. As young as 16 years old, Victoria had said that her father was forcing himself on her. She did not want this, not then, not ever. Perhaps Victoria only allowed it to try and protect her mother from Andreas Gruber. We cannot know what was in the mind of either woman, because their thoughts and feelings were cloaked in silence and shame. Victoria Gruber-Gabriel owned the Hinterkaifeck farm, so why didn't she simply throw her father out? But if she did, what would happen to her mother? Cetcilia gruber once fled the farmhouse after Andreas had beaten her severely, and Cecilia hid in the surrounding forest for several days until Victoria found her battered mother and brought her home. So Victoria Gruber-Gabriel stayed at Hinterkaifeck Farm. It was hers, She had nowhere else to go. In 1919, Victoria gave birth to another child who she named Josef. The birth certificate for Josef listed as his father the initials L.S. This was, perhaps, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the nearest neighbor of the Gruber family who had courted Victoria for some time after her husband died. Victoria's father, Andreas Gruber, had opposed the relationship, even locking Victoria in a closet when Lorenz Schlittenbauer came to take her out for a date, and a maid overheard Andreas Gruber saying that Victoria would always belong to him, and only him, as long as he lived. Despite the cryptic birth certificate, many people in the nearby farms and villages thought that baby Yosef was actually a child of incest between Victoria and her monstrous father, Andreas Gruber. We cannot know for sure, but... Lorenz Schlittenbauer certainly believed Baby Yosef was his own son. Six months before the murders, the Gruber family maid suddenly quit her job. The maid said that she had heard unexplained noises in the attic of the Hinterkaifeck farmhouse and that she came to believe the house was haunted. She left before it got dark, refusing to stay another night although an often-repeated part of the Hinterkaifex story. It may not be true. The former maid was questioned by police after the murders, and in her statement to them she made no mention of believing the house was haunted. But it makes a good tale. Doesn't it? Unsettling things did begin to happen at the Hinterkaifeck farm in early March of 1922. First, Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper on the property that could not be explained. It was a Munich newspaper to which no one in the nearby area subscribed to, and when Andreas asked the local postman about it, the postman said he had not delivered it. What happened next was more troubling. The Gruber family kept two sets of the keys to the house and to the other farm buildings, One of those sets of keys went missing, and were never found. On Thursday, March 30th, 1922, Andreas Gruber noticed there were footprints in the snow, leading from the forest behind the Hinterkaifeck farm to the building where the family kept their farming implements. The lock had been broken. Nothing appeared to be missing But what unsettled the Gruber family Was that the footprints in the snow Then led up to the farmhouse There were no footprints leaving it Suggesting that someone had entered their house And not gone out again Andreas Gruber was unnerved enough to confide in his nearest neighbor, Lorenz Schlittenbauer, the same man who had dated Victoria and was, perhaps, the father of her baby, Josef. Lorenz Schlittenbauer offered to lend Andreas Gruber a gun, but Andreas refused. Schlittenbauer then offered to inform the police, but Andreas again declined. He didn't want the police in his house. Given Andreas' violent abuse of his wife, Cecilia, and his daughter, Victoria, it's not surprising he was wary of the police coming by and asking too many questions. A school friend of seven-year-old little Cecilia Gruber later told police that on that night, little Cecilia's mother, Victoria gruber gabriel had gotten into a violent argument with her father Andreas, the subject of which we do not know. Whatever the calls, Victoria fled the house that night running into the snowy woods. She was found a few hours later sitting on a tree stump by a nearby river. Her father brought Victoria back home. That night, The Gruber family was terrified to hear mysterious footsteps walking around the attic of the darkened farmhouse. But upon investigation, the attic appeared to be empty. Finding no explanation for the unnerving sounds of footsteps in the attic, the Gruber family returned to their beds, for what I can only imagine must have been a very sleepless night. The next day, Friday, March 31, 1922, a new maid finally arrived at Hinterkaifeck Farm. Her name was Maria Baumgartner. Maria's sister, Franziska, brought her to Hinterkaifek and helped Maria get settled into her new home. Wanting to get back to her own house before dark since there was a snowstorm coming, Francisca left the farm around 5 o'clock p.m. Before she left, Maria hugged her sister goodbye, and Francisca was made to promise that she would come and visit Maria soon. Maria Baumgarten's sister, Francisca, is the last known person to have seen the Gruber family alive. On Saturday, April 1st, 1922, Little Cecilia Gruber Gabriel was absent from school and continued to be absent over the next few days. That evening, a carpenter named Michael passed by the Hinterkaifeck farm, which he described as being eerily silent. But Michael noticed a light on inside the farmhouse, and there was smoke coming from the chimney that smelled foul. As Michael approached the farmhouse, he saw a man appear out of the darkness of the yard, and the man shone a flashlight into Michael's eyes, blinding him. Michael was understandably very frightened, and he quickly left Hinterkaifeck. On Sunday, April 2nd, 1922, the Gruber family did not appear in church. This was remarked upon as unusual. Victoria Gruber-Gabriel was a prominent member of the church choir who never missed a single Sunday. Other neighbors passed by the Hinterkaifeck farm on this day and noticed it was unusually silent. But they didn't think much of it. If anything bad had happened to the Gruber family, the animals would have been heard crying to be fed. On Monday, April 3rd, 1922, the local postman, Josef Meyer, delivered mail to the Hinterkaifeck farm and noticed that the mail he had delivered on Saturday had not been picked up by the family. Meyer also noticed that Baby Joseph's bassinet was not in the kitchen as it usually was, and that the door of the kitchen was slightly open. On Tuesday, April 4, 1922, Twenty-year-old Albert Hoffner arrived at the Hinterkaifeck farm for a scheduled appointment to repair a diesel engine. He noticed no smoke was rising from the chimney of the house, which was unusual at midday, and he heard the Gruber family dog barking somewhere on the property. Albert Hoffner spent a few hours repairing the engine and saw no one, but when he finished, he noticed the door to the barn was now open, and the dog was tied to the barn's entrance, which had not been the case before. Hoffner knocked on the kitchen door of the farmhouse, but found it locked. Someone other than Albert Hoffner was on the Hinterkaifeck property at that time, but Hoffner never saw who it was. Returning from the farm, Albert Hoffner eventually ran into Lorenz Schlittenbauer the Gruber family's nearest neighbor, and told him of the strange things he had seen at Hinterkaifeck. Schlittenbauer enlisted the help of two other neighbors, Michael Paul and Jacob Sigel, and together the group went to the Hinterkaifeck farm to investigate. What they found was a scene of slaughter. Entering the barn of Hinterkaifeck at nightfall, as the Gruber's family dog growled and barked at them, the three men discovered the bodies of Andreas Gruber, 63 years old, his wife, Cecilia Gruber, 72 years old, their daughter, Victoria Gruber Gabriel, 35 years old, and Victoria's daughter, Little Cetcilia, seven years old. All four bodies had been roughly stacked on top of one another and covered with bloody straw. They had been dead for four days, all murdered with blows to the head from a very sharp instrument with only a flashlight to illuminate the horrific scene in the barn. Lorenz Schlittenbauer began uncovering the bodies and moving them aside. When Michael Pohl and Jacob Sigel asked Schlittenbauer to stop disturbing the bodies, Lorenz Schlittenbauer replied that he had to find his son. But the body of Victoria's two-year-old son, Joseph was not found in the barn, and there was no sign of the maid, Maria Baumgartner. The three men found the farmhouse locked, but luckily, and perhaps significantly, Lorenz Schlittenbauer had the keys, and so they went in. Inside the house, they found the body of Maria Baumgartner in her bed, and the corpse of two-year-old Josef in his crib, both murdered the same way the four other members of the Gruber family had been Maria Baumgartner's body was covered with her bedsheet, and the body of little Josef was covered by one of his mother's skirts. Maria Baumgartner's suitcase was still unopened and unpacked in her bedroom. Her first day of employment at Hinterkaifeck Farm had also been the last day of her life. The autopsy report on the six victims, translated from the original German, is as follows. Andreas Gruber, right half of the face smashed, Cheekbones protruding, flesh flesh seemed shredded, face caked with blood. Cecilia Gruber, wife of Andreas Gruber, bruising near the right eye, seven blows to her head, one in triangular shape, signs of strangulation, skull cracked. Victoria Gabriel, mother of little Cecilia and Joseph. Nine star shaped wounds to the head, strangulation marks on the neck, right side of the face smashed with a blunt object, a small round injury of a pointed tool on the upper skull, smashed skull. Cecilia Gabriel, daughter of Victoria Gruber. Lower jaw shattered. Cervical injury due to shock, severe head injuries. Skull was smashed with several blows and her neck revealed a wide, gaping, transverse wound. On the right side of her face was a circular wound. Her face was smeared with blood, and her cramped right-hand fingers were hair pieces. Josef Gruber, son of Victoria Gruber, killed by a heavy blow in the face, top of the bassinet stroller destroyed. Maria Baumgartner, made, killed by crosswise blows to the head, face crusted with blood. One head wound was four centimeters deep, and blood encrusted probably resulted from a sharp hoe. The police reconstructed what had happened on the night of the six murders, Friday, March 31st. It appeared that the killer, whoever it was, lured Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, and little Cecilia to the barn one by one, where they were murdered with a mattock or a pickaxe. We do not know how the killer did this, causing the four family members to leave the house at night during a snowstorm. Some have speculated that they may have been drawn to the barn by the sounds of the animals in distress, or perhaps by human screams. Investigators believed that Victoria Gruber-Gabrielle and her mother, Cecilia Gruber, were killed in the barn first and second, respectively. Both of them were still dressed in their daytime clothes, indicating an earlier time of death, and it is also perhaps significant that Victoria and Cecilia's bodies were the only ones that also bore signs of strangulation, suggesting the killer's primary focus may have been on one or both of them. Andreas Gruber was likely killed third, since he was found wearing his nightshirt but still had his regular pants on, suggesting he had been in the act of getting ready for bed when something made him go out to the barn. Seven-year-old little Cecilia was murdered forth, since she was dressed in her pajamas. In perhaps the most horrifying and heartbreaking detail of this case, it is certain that little Cecilia, seven years old, was still alive for two or three hours after she was attacked. She had torn out clumps of her own hair in pain, anguish, and terror as the bleeding corpses of her mother, her grandfather, and her grandmother were placed dead around her. As noted in the autopsy report, clumps of her own ripped out hair were found clenched in her little fists when she finally died. Next, the killer or killers, whoever he or they were, entered the farmhouse. It is speculated that the new maid Maria Baumgarten was killed fifth. She was getting ready for bed when the murderer entered her room. Her body was found on the floor in the fetal position. She likely saw her killer. Finally, after killing Maria, the murderer savagely ended the life of two-year-old baby Yosef in his crib. As noted in the autopsy report, the crib itself was partially destroyed and Yosef had been hit in the face with such violence that his blood spattered on the walls and the ceiling of the room. As I have said, based on the evidence and testimony we have, it is certain that the perpetrator of these six Haines murders remained on the Hinterkaifeck farm for at least some of the four days following the crime. The animals continued to be fed, Lights were seen in the house after its inhabitants were all dead and smoke was seen coming out of the chimney, smoke with a foul smell, perhaps from the killer burning blood-saturated clothing or other incriminating evidence, the killer or killers also ate several meals in the farmhouse kitchen. Although Victoria Gruber-Gabriel's bedroom and hers alone was found to be ransacked, nothing of value was found to be missing from the scene of the crime. There was quite a lot of money lying around in various places around the farmhouse. If robbery had been the motive for the murders, there was plenty of cash in plain sight. None of it was taken. Investigators in 1922, and still in the present day, strongly believe that the Hinterkaifeck murders were likely committed by someone who had some kind of intimate, personal connection to the Gruber family. The killer had to have known the layout of the farm, how to care for the animals on the farm, and to have the instinct to want to do so in the first place also the fact that all six murder victims were covered up in some way according to the modern views of behavioral psych- criminology likely indicates the killer's personal knowledge of the victims a random maniacal drifter would not have cared if he could still see all their faces after death. This person did. Three thousand mourners attended the funeral of Andreas, Cecilia, Victoria, little Cecilia. Josef Gruber, and Maria Baumgarten. They were all buried together in a mass grave. Like the bodies of Abby and Andrew Borden 20 years later, the six bodies were beheaded before burial, and their defleshed skulls were submitted for forensic testing at a university in Munich. Tragically, before the skulls could be returned to the rest of their bones, they were lost and likely destroyed during the bombings and chaos of World War II. Less than a year after the murders, the entirety of the Hinterkaifeck farm was demolished. In the process of demolishing the barn, the murder weapon was discovered. It was a mattock or pickaxe, covered in old blood, hidden within the walls of the hayloft. Neighbors identified the weapon as a tool that had been made by Andreas Gruber, likely stolen from the farm's tool shed. Three years later, in 1925, a local school teacher named Hans Lager was walking when he discovered Lorenz Schlittenbauer standing alone, looking at the deserted land where the farm of Hinterkaifeck had once stood. Hans asked Lorenz Schlittenbauer what he was doing there, and Schlittenbauer remarked that the murderer was forced to leave the corpses of the Gruber family in the barn because it had been impossible to bury them in the frozen ground on that snowy night in 1922. The Wrens Schlittenbauer one-time lover of Victoria Gruber Gabriel and the probable father of her little son, Yosef, died in 1941. The case was officially closed as cold by German police in 1955. However, it has been reopened twice since, in the latter 20th and early 21st centuries, before being closed again. In 2007, Students at the police academy of Furstenfeldbruck in Germany examined the Hinterkaifeck murder case using modern forensic methodology. They determined that the case was impossible to conclusively solve due to the loss of evidence and witnesses to time. As well as the tampering of the original crime scene. However, they did eliminate all known suspects in the case except one. That one person they declined to name since he still has living relatives. Since the demolition of the Hinterkaifeck farm in 1923, no other structure has ever been built there. Today, it is a beautiful agricultural landscape. However, there is a memorial on the site where the farm once stood, where six people once lived and tragically died nearly a century ago. The concrete memorial looks eerily like a house with a Christian cross on its surface, surrounded by a white fence and a small garden. On the stone it is written, Godless murderer's hand felled the Gruber Gabriel family here on March thirty first, nineteen twenty two. Then the names of Andreas Gruber, Cecilia Gruber, Victoria Gruber Gabriel, Little Cecilia Gabriel, and Baby Josef, and Maria Baumgarten are listed along with their dates of birth. The stories of their human lives, as well as their deaths, still needs to be heard and not forgotten. In a German cemetery not too far away, their headless bones are still waiting for justice. Their collective grave, along with all their names, bears an inscription from the Christian Bible, God remembers those who suffer. He does not ever forget their cry. Next time we meet, I will continue this season of unsolved mysteries moving across the ocean to Kansas City, Missouri in 1935 for the tale of the terror in room 1046. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review if the spirit moves you. You can also like Going Dark Theatre on Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to episode transcripts and other spooky projects I'm writing, I have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. I am your host, Josh Hitchens. And you've been listening to Going Dark Theater, where we seek to find the humanity behind the horror. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, go.